So how do you do on planes? I know for me it's gotten better over the years. A little less anxious. You sort of just pop your earbuds in and you find your seat and you, you get that little square foot to yourself, that, that plane seat where you try to fall asleep and, or maybe read a book. Yeah, I don't know how you do on planes, but I know, as for me, for the most part, it's pretty good all up until one point. The turbulence. But there's one thing that seems to make that better. And that's when, over the loudspeaker, you hear the captain say, hey, just giving you a heads up, there's going to be turbulence. It's going to be about 30 minutes long, and it won't be anything too rough, but, but it could make you feel a little sick. Don't worry about it. That's what Jesus is doing today. He wants to make it so that as you're in this life, you don't have the questions that maybe you might if you're, if you're riding on a plane and the, the captain doesn't say that there's going to be turbulence. What's going on? Is this normal? Am I really supposed to be feeling this? Is something wrong? Jesus answers those questions today as he talks about how the end times are going to work. That in these moments, in these end times, when, when Jesus is getting this world ready to come back to it, there are going to be struggles. And he goes throughout all of these verses that we have in front of us for today, and he articulates the struggles that his church, that his people are going to face. And so we'll just go through them. And we'll see how he promises to help and to save. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. The temple of Jerusalem is this massive landmark. It's, it's important to the faith life of the people in Jerusalem, but it's also just really iconic at the time. It's almost as if you were walking through Las Vegas and somebody came up to you and said, hey, by the way, did you know that someday soon Caesar's Palace is going to be gone? Or walking through downtown New York and they said that Empire State Building, you're not going to see that soon. It's startling. It's something that the disciples and everybody that was around Jesus, if they would have heard that, this prediction that the temple itself was going to fall, a couple things would be on your mind. The spiritual implication, where are we going to worship? But also the grander scheme of it all, if the temple gets knocked down, what does that mean is going on in the rest of Jerusalem? Jesus is looking ahead about 35 years to 70 AD when Titus and the Roman legions march into Jerusalem and completely sack the city in order to put down the Jewish uprising. And sure enough, what happens? The temple comes down. And he uses this as an opportunity not to just explain to the people that this temple that they love so much is going to be reduced to rubble, but he wants to go a step further. And explain that although you might be afraid of that day, of something like that happening, that's just going to be commonplace. Those tribulations, those disasters, those tragedies, those are going to be commonplace in the last day. And so Jesus continues. It says, teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? 
And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Jesus is, is warning the disciples really for two reasons. First, he's, he's looking after their, their spiritual welfare. He's giving them a heads up that there are going to be people in this world that say, I know when the world's going to end. I've got a different message than scripture. I've got a different message than the one that you've been brought before. Listen to me. He knows that there are, are all sorts of people that will come into this world and try to lead his people away from him with all sorts of lies and misdirections. Yeah, that would happen in the years after Jesus left the earth, but, but we see it happen today too, don't we? We've all heard the stories of the people that say, in December of such and such a year, that's when Jesus is going to come back. The world is going to end. And sure enough, that time rolls around and doesn't happen. But the people had already been led astray by it. Yes, Jesus is warning about the spiritual implications of the people that are going to come into this world and try to take the faith of the church. But he's also giving a warning about the mental and the emotional implications. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. Don't be whipped into some type of frenzy. You're going to look around and you're going to see upheaval and you're going to see corruption and you're going to see powers going against powers and you're going to feel helpless. And Jesus is saying, don't get whipped into a frenzy like all the rest of the world because everybody else is going to worry. You don't have to. He goes on as, as he talks about more of these like geopolitical problems. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. We see it. We are living in the end times. Is there anything on that list that we just read that, that we don't see in front of us today? Famines, earthquakes, rumors of war, kingdoms going at us. Jesus says all of these things, plan on them being in the world. That way when they come about, when they start to personally affect you, when it seems as if, if they are becoming a really, really big deal in your life, in that moment you will be able to say, you know what? I know my God told me about these. And he said, don't be worried about them. It's just the first of many things to come. I've got a phrase that, that you'll hear throughout this sermon. All these things are going to happen, and they won't be fixed until Judgment Day. It must have been pretty cool to be a follower of Jesus at the time, right? There had to have been some really awesome days to, to study at his feet. Could you imagine being there for the feeding of the 5,000? Could you imagine being there when the boy who was demon-possessed was completely healed? Could you imagine how awesome it must have been to go with Jesus up to the Mount of Transfiguration and bask in the glory of God himself? There had to have been some really 
awesome days for the disciples as they studied under Jesus. But there had to have been some days where it just was downright miserable. We think of those days when, when Jesus was called a blasphemer, when he was called a liar and a fool. We think of those days when, when Jesus goes into his own hometown and his own hometown won't accept him to the point that they want to push him off of the edge of a cliff. We think of all the times that, that Jesus was taking on all of the hatred and the curses of the Jewish leadership at the time and you realize that the disciples were following right along with him. It had to have gotten old. Not knowing how this all ends, it had to have gotten really tiresome for the disciples to follow along. Just imagine, I, I was, I've heard from quite a few of you that, uh, that we were in the paper this morning. And the, the, it was about a, a new pastor coming to Aiken. Just imagine if in that article it said all of these beautiful things, but then there, were also, there was also one paragraph that said, oh, and by the way, this new pastor, he's a fool, He's a liar, and he is the worst thing to come to our town. Would that be fun? <clears throat> to go out onto the streets to tell your friends, oh, I go to Peace Lutheran, and they go, oh, yeah, that's, that's the place where the liar is. No, brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to compare myself to Jesus or anything like that, but there's some, there's some parallels there. That the people at that time that were following Jesus were absolutely called fools and ignorant and, and things that are far worse than that. And Jesus says, oh no, but it doesn't stop there. And going forward, it won't stop there. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all account on my name, of my name there won't just be the natural disasters. There won't just be the geopolitical problems. These things were about to hit home. They were about to become very real in these people's lives. They become very real in our lives. Have you, have you ever thought about what it must have been like to be a first century Christian? Being oppressed? Persecuted by the government? The threat of death always hanging over the top of you. Actually being hauled in front of synagogues and princes and rulers. Sometimes I think about it and I wonder, would I have had the guts for it? Would I have been able to stand up under that oppression or would I have become a coward? The answer is when, when left by ourselves... That's exactly what every single one of us would do. But Jesus doesn't leave us by ourselves. He gives us a tool. He puts it right in our hands. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Jesus is saying... I promise you that you're not going to have to worry about these things. 
You know those butterflies that you get in your stomach when you have to, to talk about your faith in front of some people? I know some people are really, really, really comfortable with talking about their faith life and other people, well, they'd rather switch the subject because they just, they just don't know how to do it. And here Jesus is saying, don't worry about all that. Stick close to my word and you will have all the words that you need in order to speak to people about your faith. That when somebody calls you all of those things that we hate to be called, old-fashioned, out of date, when somebody calls into question your faith and the reason that you have hope for eternal life, you're able to not lean on your own logic and reason, not on this, this really crafty argument that you've come up with in your head. Because that's not how the gospel works. The gospel works on hearts. As Jesus uses that gospel and he places faith in our heart, not because we were, we were logicked into believing in him, but because we were utterly convinced by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we don't need to worry about having this, this foolproof, sound argument when we talk about our faith. We know that God's going to give us the words. And we use the words that he's given to us all to his glory. That's a promise that we have. That's a promise, I think, that so many of us fail to see. That we think that it's all about us. And if I don't have the exact right words, if I don't have my, my arguments and my defenses for my beliefs, if I don't have that ready, people are going to take my certainty away. Jesus says, don't worry about that. Because all these things are going to continue to happen and they won't be fixed until Judgment Day. Now, if that's not personal enough, Jesus makes it even more personal with his next phrase. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. The gospel itself divides even families? Yes. Maybe some of us feel it more than others. That, that kitchen table that, that we just can't talk about our faith as openly as we like to with our kids or our grandkids or our parents because they don't believe the same as us. Or, or they've completely left faith in the dust. And, and we know that bringing up that conversation is just going to cause friction. I was reading an article about gathering around the Thanksgiving table this year. And once again, two of their tips for having the greatest Thanksgiving you could possibly have is don't talk about politics or religion. That's just the truth in so many households. That faith has to be put off to the side because, because it's going to cause issues. God bless you and your family if this is not something that divides you. That is a wonderful blessing that, that you should cherish now and until the end of time. But so many of us, many of us are going to see that at our Thanksgiving table. And brothers and sisters, it's, it's not easy. Jesus isn't saying that I've got a perfect cure for that. Jesus is saying, get ready for it because it's not going to be fun. I don't know if 
you know this. I had to look it up in preparation for this sermon. Do you know how many of the 12 apostles were martyred? Ten of them. Judas died at his own hand, and John died of old age, and the other ten were martyred. They were martyred because people hated the gospel enough. This gospel that presents true life, true freedom, true peace, real peace for real people. People hated enough to kill the people that were bringing it before them. That's what sinful wickedness does. And maybe that's something that hasn't risen to our minds. Maybe, maybe we are never concerned about being put to death because we've been blessed to live in a country where it's not illegal to worship this way. But this is very real for a lot of people in this world. That the Bible has to be stuffed in a board under the bed because if the government comes, if somebody would come and find them, they might be hauled off, put in prison, and even killed. It's a very real thing that many people have to deal with. And even though we might not have to deal with that, we still deal with people that have nothing but, but hatred and vitriol for, for what we preach. As they call it, bigoted and, and old-fashioned and, and you being a hater and, and all of the other nasty things we can think of. Yes, we might not ever be called to give up our life for the gospel, but there are people in this world that believe that this world would be better off without people like us. These things will happen, and they won't be fixed until Judgment Day. And that's how we get through the day. We get through our day-to-day -day life knowing that God promises something better for us. And knowing that the thing that the, the trials and tribulations we are going through, we are not going through because of you or because of me, but because of God. Those last three words of verse 17, everyone will hate you because of me. Because of our Lord Jesus. Because of his love for the world, he was hated. Because he went out of his way, he left heaven and came to earth to save us, he was hated. Because he rose from the dead and said, I've granted you victory over death itself, he was hated. He was hated for you. And he says, now, my dear brothers and sisters, heirs of eternity with me for the next 10 years, 50 years, 75 years. We bear the cross of being hated for me. But he doesn't leave it there. He gives us these last two verses. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. The best way of saying that verse 18 is that I am not going to lose you. No matter what happens, no matter what this earth throws at you, no matter how many times you are called before rulers and princes, no matter how many times they threaten to take your life away from you, I'm not going to lose you. 
No, no one will drag my children away from me. That's the promise that we have in Christ, that, that when we stand firm, when he calls us to stand firm, we don't look at Jesus and go, well, how are we supposed to do that? Jesus says, I will do that for you, and I will do that with you. As he brings us closer to him. And in those moments when our, our weak knees feel, feel weak, he straightens us up. And says, I will not lose you. Not one hair on your head is going to perish. Yes, parts of this sermon today might have been a little bit of a downer. But that's just because our captain, our Lord Jesus, wants us to be ready for the turbulence. Because he knows that after years of turbulence in this life, something so much better awaits us. Something that no one can take away. No earthquake, no famine, no persecutor, no family division. On that day, not one thing in this world will be able to separate you from the love of Christ. And so stand firm as he stands firm for you. Amen.